just, just for my own information, how many of you uh, were up last night when the clock struck midnight? That explains the bags under your eyes. Happy New Year. It's a time of introspection, and as I got up this morning and uh, began to think about the turning of a page from 2016 to 2017, began to recognize that there were things last year that I will want to remember forever, and there were some things last year that I'm kind of glad we can close the book on and, and move on from, and I began to realize as I was just speaking to the Lord about that this morning, that that's called life, that 2017 is going to be filled with some things that we will consider great blessings, and there will also be some things that will take place in 2017 that will be considered trials. In each of these aspects of our life, the wonderful thing that we have is to know that we do not walk alone, that there is a Savior that walks before us, walks beside us, walks behind us, and encompasses us. And he encourages each of us. As we were singing that song, he's a good, good father. That, that line about he's drawing us deeper still, drawing us deeper still, begin to, to just swell within my heart as, as to the, the view of the Savior as he's just inviting you going, will you trust me a little more this year? Will you just let your fears go a little bit more this year? Will you just begin to believe that I've got your best interest at heart a little more this year? Will you just be a little more faithful? Will you just give me a little bit more of a chance to, to own more of your life? Because whatever you give to me is safe, and whatever you give to me is areas of your life that I can mold and make, and it will be the things that we will remember as great blessings as we face this year. I want to focus on one verse for the next few moments this morning, and then we're going to have communion together to kick in this wonderful year. And it's found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. And the title of the, the thoughts this morning are what to look at in 2017. The scripture says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Lord Jesus, as this first Sunday in 2017 launches itself and we look forward with great anticipation as to where you will lead and what you will do in each of our lives and our families and you know, certainly within our church family. We, we look forward with, with a hunger in our heart knowing that as long as you are in front of us and as long as you are the, the trailblazer that we who follow you will understand joy because we're with you. And I pray, Lord, this morning that you would begin to open our eyes so that we can, we can see things in the word that might not naturally appear just on the surface, but that through your Spirit's guiding and directing, that we can, we can banquet on the fresh bread of life that you give to us today. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I was reading out of the New International Version, and if you have an English Standard Version, then when it talks about the author and perfecter, it might say the founder 
and protector. Or if you're in the King James Version, it will say the author and finisher of our faith. All of these things giving us an understanding of of the fact that Jesus is the one who is the beginning and the end as it relates to our faith. I was reading a story this week of a man who was gathering with his five siblings or his four siblings. He was the fifth. Their mom and dad had passed away and they were told to come and settle matters. And he was the youngest and he was a twin. His sister, uh, who was the oldest, his name is Anne. And as they were going through some of the stuff of their parents, Anne told them that she had come across a note that their dad had written many, many years before. It was handwritten out on an old homeowner's insurance invoice that he had sent to Anne and her husband. The father had worked at a local bank for a number of years. He'd sold insurance on the side, and in that particular year, that bank had been sold. And as they were going through uh, a transition period, there was money missing. He was accused of it, and uh, the FBI came by and formally charged their father with embezzlement and As he was waiting for a trial, he was without work, and so to make ends meet, he was selling insurance and fruits and vegetables just to try to keep the family together, and he was driving an old truck that the family called Moses. I don't know if you name your old vehicles, but this family did. And as the five children were gathered around, they began to read this note, and it said, Dear Ann, we are still having bad luck. Jerry got his arm broke and his lip busted in the first football game, but he's feeling pretty good today. We don't think it will keep him from playing. We are not quitters. Love, Daddy. And the children were sitting there looking at that note and beginning to just filter all of the memories of Mom and Dad, and they could not help but come back to that last line again. We are not quitters. We are not quitters. He said, it almost appeared as an afterthought in the letter, but he said, it began to remind me of some of the things that my mom and dad had taught me growing up. He said, I also know that my dad was not a quitter because it was later on that year that the charges of embezzlement were dropped. Daddy was faithful to the Lord through all of that time. He started a new business. He wouldn't give up, and he continued, and God blessed he and their family greatly as they went on. But he said, the letter caused me to think and ask this question, am I a quitter? And as I begin to think about that within my life, and certainly each of us as we face a new year, think about some philosophical questions within our life, maybe each of us would ask ourselves that. Are there areas of life where I'm a quitter? Have I done things in my life marginally rather than pursuing excellence? Am I too willing to give up on certain visions and initiatives that I feel the Lord has planted on my heart because it seems to get there is going to be too hard? Have I followed through on beliefs and convictions? And I know that the first day of a new year, you look back and you think of some of the promises you made to yourself and perhaps to God than the first day of last year, and you look and you, you begin to evaluate, how well did I do on some of those? Have I kept the commitments that I have pledged? Have I sat down in the race and quit, not finishing when I should have kept going? And the question arises with regularity. As we start this new year, do you intend to finish the race, the race of becoming a spiritual champion? Will you be sold out to Jesus to strain in all of your energy to become more like him day by day through this year? 
will you lose the extra weight of sins and distractions that so easily has hindered your progress in the past? Will you try harder to wisely train and build the endurance that it takes to become a person of prayer and a greater person of trust and faith in the Lord? Will you be willing to rearrange your life around the needed activities and practices that it takes to allow the Lord to mold you more and more into his image? Will you finish the race? Will you hang in there? Will you stick with it until the race is completed? I have to tell you that human tendency seems to be that we quit too soon. It seems to be that many start races that they never quite get to the finish line. And we can see that as we drive around. We look and we see partially shoveled driveways. We see in our own libraries half-read books. I started something when I was in college by writing the date that I began to read a book in the front cover. And I have way too many books that have one date written in them because I never got to write the date when I finished it. Maybe you have incomplete landscaping projects that now that the snow has covered it, you don't even have to look at it for another few weeks. Maybe it's the abandoned diets and... We look back and we see, boy, there's so many things in my life that I may have quit before it finished. Or maybe it shows up in more painful areas. Maybe you discovered about yourself that you were a job hopper. Because you've come to the conclusion that you will never let anybody tell you what to do, so you've become unteachable. And as a result of that, you find yourself beginning a new year, wondering what will the future look like. Maybe it's An aspect where you have one course to go before you finish a college degree. Maybe you look out and you see different things in your life that are unfinished. And today I want you to know something. We serve a God that is a beginner and a finisher. A beginner and a finisher. If I'm touching on some painful areas, then I want you to know our Lord is also a healer. And he works to help us in these areas. Three things that I want us to see this morning is number one, our focus. Our focus. The scripture tells us, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Now, the word fix in Greek is a word that's difficult to describe other than the fact that it would be something that you would see if the back doors were to open and there was a wedding taking place today. And a bride is coming walking in on the arm of her father and you can tell that her gaze, though she's on her father's arm and though there's a crowd of people here, the groom who's standing in the front is looking at her and she is looking at her man and together there is a fixed gaze. There's a singleness of purpose. I'm, I'm not taking my eyes off of you. Now, I know that Pastor Mark works with uh, Solve during the spring as a track coach and, and a track coach will tell you things like this, that When the gun sounds, don't look at anyone around you, but focus completely as much as you can on what is ahead of you. You're looking for the finish line. You're you're fixing your eyes on the goal that is there ahead of you. And so spiritually, we look at this scripture, and it says, to fix our eyes on Jesus. Now, that requires a holy habit. It demands continuous and sustained action. And here is one of the easiest ways that the enemy works to distract us from that. How many of you know that the moment that you set your mind to doing something uh, faithful and spiritual, that the enemy is going to do everything he can to distract you? 
He is the master at distracting you. For me, it shows up because I'm a list person. I make a list every day, and I like at the end of that day to scratch things off my list. In fact, if I do something that's not on the list, I will write it on the list just so that I can scratch it off. Some of you are like that. Some of you are going, you are out of your mind. That's okay. We're all made differently. But I've discovered that as soon as I start to get into the Word of God in the morning, something else will jump on my mind that I need to write on that list. And it's, it's a valid thing on the list. And way too many times I put down uh, my time with the Lord to run and write something else on the list so that I can scratch it off at the end of the day. But there's, there's distractions that come as, as we try to focus and fix our eyes on the things of God. And so we see within the verse that as we start 2017, what do we need to look at? We need to fix our eyes. Fix our eyes on God. We need to watch where he walks, for he knows what lies ahead of us. I thought about that this morning. I've scheduled out some things to do this week and this month, but only the Lord knows what's ahead of us. We all have day timers, and we have little alarms that go off on our phone that tell us we're supposed to be someplace at a certain time, and we all have our schedules, but... We all know that anything can happen at any moment that can change everything. But we today are worshiping the one who looks at a calendar and is in control of everything. And so because he knows what is ahead of us, as we fix our eyes on him and he becomes our leader and our guide, we know that he will lead us on a trail that will be able to navigate whatever life may have for us this year because we follow the one who knows where he's going and we fix our eyes on him. And then the scripture goes on to say that he is the founder and protector, the author and, and, and finisher. Now, to me, this suggests something. Since Jesus is the author or the beginning, the founder, and he's also the finisher or the perfecter, it means that he is both a beginner and a finisher as it relates to the things that he does. So it suggests that he has started something within our life. It also suggests that he wants to bring it to completion within our life. And we know that he talks about faith, which is the body of the truth that he's speaking. That he desires for each of us to become spiritual champions. The desire of the Lord for you this year is that at the end of the year, he would get to raise your hand because you've been the spiritual champion of 2017 for everything that he brings you through. He's a beginner, and he's a finisher. And so he, the writer of Hebrews, is exhorting us that whatever may come your way, there is no moment, no time for you to say, this is it, I've taken all I can do, I am going to quit. But he reminds us that we put our strength and our faith and our trust and our hands into the one who leads us because he will lead us to victory. Now, as I look at this, this means About three things to me. First, it means that he's laid the foundation of our faith by his death and resurrection. We're going to have communion in just a few minutes, which signifies that our Lord is a finisher. We celebrated Christmas last Sunday, which celebrates that he's a starter. And within those two events, we recognize the significance of what it means to each of us. That I serve a God who loved me and loves you and saw you and pursued you with such 
with such a holy vigor that he was willing to leave his throne in glory, be clothed with flesh, take on humanity, and start the race to redeem us. About the third Sunday of April this year, we're going to be celebrating how well he finished. When on Easter Sunday morning, we will stand here and we will celebrate a victory that has been given to us by virtue of his love that we could do nothing to earn. So we have within the scripture the wording that says he is the author and finisher, but we have within the word of God in its totality the picture of his complete redemption that takes place within our life. He is the foundation of his faith. By his death and resurrection, he makes salvation possible. Secondly, he provided the perfect example to follow in that he trusted his father God completely and perfectly. Even when he was tempted in the wilderness, he didn't give in. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he yielded up his humanity to the perfect will of God, even when the will of God for him was something that he didn't in his humanity want to do. And he said, is there any other way that this cup can pass from me? Yet, not my will, but thy will be done. Because I will be a finisher. And he passed every test so that he could grant to us a righteousness that we did not earn. And third, he gives us faith when we need it and we feel like quitting. All true faith comes from him because faith itself is the gift from God. And in Christ, we find everything we need always. Secondly, within this verse, we find out that he's our example. The verse goes on to say, Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Now, I, I will admit to you that there are two conflicting words here that are difficult for us to put together in the same sentence. Joy and cross. Joy and cross. They don't seem to go together because the cross speaks of pain and suffering and shame and ridicule and rejection and ultimate public humiliation. And crucifixion meant a slow and agonizing death that often lasted for several days in, in instances. And Yet we also find within this that there was a joy that came with this. And what we need to understand in this is that as we launch this new year, the reason that Jesus did what he did is because he looks at you and he says, you're worth it. You're worth the sacrifice. Now, some of you will start getting department store bills and Visa and MasterCard bills in about five days. And you're going to look at those and you're going to ask yourself, was it worth it? When you saw your smiling children's faces as they opened everything they wanted, and you now realize the bill is due, was it worth it? When you're still paying those off in May, and the toys are broken, and they'd rather play with the box than the toy, you may have a different feeling than you do right now. Was it worth it? Thankfully, I have a Savior that looks at each of you. He looks at me, and he recognizes that there was a joy that was put before him, but in order to get to the joy, it required the cross. And he looks at you, and he said, no price too high. I'm willing to pay the ultimate price. I will come to earth, and I will suffer, and I will die in humiliation because I know that when that is done, I have the joy of welcoming you 
into the family. The joy that comes from the Christ. I believe that Jesus was the ultimate at teaching us what it means to have delayed gratification. It means enduring pain to receive a reward. Now, for those of you who are high school and college athletes, you understand what I mean because you're getting up at 6 in the morning and you're going and you're, you're lifting weights when your friends are still in bed. And you do that because you want to win a championship. Uh, some of you who are phenomenal musicians understand that you will give up playing video games so that you can practice on the keyboard or on the, on the guitar just because you know that you want to be great at what you do and so you're willing to give up things that may be fun to practice and put in the hours on another level why do cancer patients endure the rigors of chemotherapy Knowing that their body may be brought to the brink of what they can take and the brink of death. They do, that, they do that because they understand that the joys of being healed are worth the agony of going through the treatments. Why do our young people keep themselves pure in a day and age when sexuality is thrown out there as, as a, an activity that should be considered leisure? They do so because someday they want the joy of being able to give themselves without any regrets to the one whom the Lord has brought into their life. Why do missionaries leave their loved ones and travel around the world? They do so because of the joy that lies ahead of them. And by the way, let me just bring this up as an offshoot. Some of the Assembly of God missionaries in, in Italy a couple of weeks ago, they had a house fire. It happened in the middle of the night. The husband was able to get out, and when he got out, he realized his wife had not followed him. He ran back in. She apparently had died in the bed of smoke uh, uh, inhalation, and when he ran back in the front, there was a collapse, and both of them, both of them lost their lives. The missionary family of the Assemblies of God is just in shock, and I would ask that you would pray, pray for our missionary family. But as I was thinking about them, their families hundreds of miles away, why do they do that? They do that, they do that because of the joy that will come. So we keep our eyes on the prize. We all like the empty tomb, but you have to die before you can rise again. Lastly, let's focus on our hope. It says... And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The reason that Jesus was able to sit down is because his work was finished. How many of you enjoy coming home at the end of a long day and you have a favorite chair and the cat and dog have to get out when you come home? <laughs> there's something about sitting down and there's this. It's generally followed by, oh, because you know that the day is over. Jesus sat down because his work was finished. In the Old Testament, priests were on duty. They could never sit down because their work of offering sacrifices for sin was never done. But once Christ offered himself as the final sacrifice for sin, no other offering could be made. No other offering would be accepted. And that's why the theologians speak of the finished work of Jesus Christ. The finished work of Jesus Christ. We live on the finished work side of Jesus Christ because he did everything and he finished it and he has the supreme honor of the universe and sitting down next to the Father. It is done. It's completed. We live in a salvation society because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
There's a verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5 that says this. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now, the interesting thing about this verse, it's written in past tense. We read it in present tense, but in the original Greek, it's written in past tense. In other words, there is a view. We live in, in, we live in the, the already finished and not yet stage of life. We are working through the aspects but in the eyes of the Father, the battle has been won. We are already seated with him. We've already experienced the victory. And if we can, in 2017, walk with that mindset of, I know the job is done. I know the work is completed. I'm living on the blood-washed side of his finished work. So regardless of what may come my way, I am seated already with Christ. I'm already there. The victory's already been won, and so I'm just working my way through the maze of this victory. But I do so with the mindset that I'm already raised up with Christ, and I'm already seated with him. Hallelujah. So the battles that you face, they've already been won. The victor has already won them. So how can this text help us in this coming year? The only way to win the race is to keep your eyes <clears throat> on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. That means asking yourself questions like this. Lord, how do you want me to apply the verses that I'm reading today? I, I know many of you start on a, on a schedule by which you will read the whole Bible in a year. It's one thing to want to finish it in a year just so we can say I've done it and scratch it off the list to say we're finished. It's another thing that in the middle of that asking the Lord, how do you want me to apply this in my life today? How can I live out the gospel? What do you want me to do? And one of the ways that we focus our eyes on Jesus is, is to run with patience the race that's set before us and, and asking him that what we read becomes alive to us and that we can uh, apply it within our lives and so that the gospel will go with us everywhere we go. Don't look back. Some of you have some things that you need to let go of. The book of 2016 is closed. Today is a new day, a new beginning. Look forward as you march. Don't look back. Secondly, when hard times come, don't start by looking at your circumstances and trying to find Jesus. Start with Jesus and then bring him back to the circumstances. So many people have this view of once hard times comes, then they jump up and say, Jesus, where are you? Where are you? In the, in the meantime, he says, if you will walk with me, then when the difficult times comes, you can apply my grace in the middle of those circumstances, and you will be an overcomer to those. You will never find Jesus by rummaging around in your tattered circumstances. If you start with problems, it will be nearly impossible to find Jesus. But when you start with the Word, and you start with the Bible, and you start with your prayer, what you know of the Lord will be there as a foundation for you, whatever may come your way. And when you've laid the foundation from the Word of God, then you can find your way back to the circumstances and apply His grace there. Then when you feel like giving up, remember, in God's eyes, you're already a winner. You are already a winner. There's an amazing story that came out of the 1968 Olympics that were held in Mexico City. The closing ceremonies had just been completed. The spectators and athletes were 
still warm with the euphoria of all that they had just seen as they were there. And everybody was remaining seated uh, until the last song was being played. At the end of the Olympics were about to take place and the flame was going to be put out. And then suddenly, as the ending was just about to come, sirens begin to be heard on the streets outside of the stadium. The last marathoner, which was the last event of the 68 Olympics, had come through hours before, and yet there was a man by the name of John Stephen Aquari from Tanzania, and he was covered in blood, and he was hobbling. And as the sirens came closer, they opened the gates, and before people left after the closing ceremonies, this runner comes stumbling into the stadium, and as he begins to make his way around the last lap of the track, his head had been wrapped, his knees were bandaged, he had fallen early in the race and literally had been trampled by the other runners. He had spike marks all over his body. And here he was, 40 kilometers later, stumbling his way to the finish line. The response of the crowd, they state, was more overwhelming than it was for when the winner came through. And when he finally got to the finish line, he collapsed and they whisked him off to the hospital. The next day, as he was appearing before the sports journalists to be interviewed, one of the questions that was asked to him first is, why, after sustaining all of the injuries that you did, why would you ever get up and proceed to the finish line? There's no way you could possibly win the race. Why continue going? And John Stephen Aquari said this, my country did not send me over 11,000 kilometers to start a race. They sent me over 11,000 kilometers to finish one. And at the start of this new year, I want to encourage you, don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. We will finish this race because Jesus is the author and the finisher the perfecter of our faith I'm going to ask our men if they would begin to serve the communion as you were served I'm going to ask that you would hold on to the elements until everybody has been served and then we'll participate together when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my riches gain. I count, but Yeah. 
cheer for the new year everything you need you will find in Christ he has <clears throat> he has all the hope all the love all the grace all the power all the strength all the wisdom all the patience all the guidance all the encouragement all the joy all the endurance, all the gentleness, all the forgiveness, all the determination, all the submission, all the boldness, and all the meekness we need. He is our all in all. David Paul Tripp is one of my favorite authors, and this will be the third year I've gone through his devotional book, and I want to read to you what he wrote. 
familiarity causes me not to treasure the gospel of Jesus Christ as I should. As the themes of grace get more and more familiar and common, they don't capture my attention and awe as they once did. When amazing realities of the gospel quit commanding your attention, your awe, your worship, other things in your life will capture your attention instead. When you quit celebrating grace, you begin to forget how much you need grace. And when you forget how much you need grace, you quit seeking the rescue and the strength that only grace can give. This means you begin to see yourself as more righteous, strong, and wise than you actually are. And in doing so, you set yourself up for trouble. So communion is a call to remember. Remember the horrible disaster of sin. Remember the victory of Jesus who stood in our place. It calls us to remember the righteousness and understand that it is a gift. It calls us to remember the transforming power of grace you and I could not possibly have earned. It calls us to remember the incredible destiny that is guaranteed to all of God's blood-purchased children. It's a call to remember His sovereignty and His glory. It's a call to remember in spiritual war that this is warfare to even participate in communion to keep our minds on His victory. Jesus was not a quitter. Did he ever want to quit? You bet. Tempted by Satan, burdened by the needs of the masses, frustrated by his closest friends, friends, plummeted by the words and the tortures of his enemies, but he did not quit. He finished the race. That's why his last words spoken from the cross was so fitting. It is finished. I would like you to repeat that with me enthusiastically. It is finished finished. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So as we prepare for communion, in your spirit, stop and listen. Imagine the cry from the cross. Thunder has just silenced the crowd. Lightning has raised all of their eyes toward Jesus. Then drawing his last breath, Pushing his feet down on the Roman nail. With the energy left in his human body, he shouts, It is finished. That was not a cry of defeat. No. It may have come through the voice of despair, but it is a cry of completion. A cry of victory. A cry of fulfillment. If you would hold the bread up, please. Lord... We ask your blessing on this symbol of the body of Jesus Christ. We can picture in our mind the image of your beaten and bruised and nail-pierced body and the blood that was dripping from you in such disgusting detail. And yet, Lord, you said that you endured it for the joy of what our relationship with you would bring after it was over. And so today... On this Communion Sunday, we hold the symbol of the body of Jesus Christ. And we gather to ourselves that which this covenant earned for us. And we make it our very own. Thank you that your body was broken so that ours might find healing. Thank you, O God, for not quitting until the job was finished. 
ask your blessing now on this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us participate together. And as we hold up the cup, you hold in your hand the symbol that makes the difference between heaven and hell. You hold in your hand the symbol of the precious purity of the blood of Jesus Christ that he willingly spilt for you. To us, this is a cup of victory. And I can think of no better way to start the year 2017 than by holding high the cup to remind Satan of his place. To remind Satan of his place in your life, to remind Satan of his place in this world, and to remind Satan of his place in this universe. He is a defeated foe, and the blood has set us free. Father, I ask your blessing over this cup that it would symbolize an initiation into a new year where we will fix our gaze on you because we are your bride and you are the groom and we are coming to meet you soon. Bless this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's participate. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't know what the Lord has in store for us this coming year. I have some ideas. I feel like the Lord has spoken to me prophetically in some aspects. That's been confirmed by some of you and some things that you have said, but this is what I know, that where he leads will follow. We'll follow Jesus every day. And where he leads, he knows where he's going, and he will bring the provision that we need, and we will celebrate every victory because he won it for us. Father, I ask that you would bless your people Encourage us, strengthen us as we go out today and celebrate the newness of this year, understanding that you have won the victory and we will not quit. We seal this in Jesus' name and everyone said amen and happy new year. Have a great day.